0: You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. This is week five. This concludes our message series on the book of Philippians. Um, Stand firm, um, cultivating a Christ confidence for living. Uh, I've honed in on that particular kind of lens reading Philippians because multiple times Paul's telling us, this is how you stand firm. And you just can't get away from how plain he is um, on multiple occasions on how you stand firm. And I think Um, we would all understand and recognize the significance of being able to stand firm. Stand firm helps us not just in storms, it helps us just know where we're going, why we're going there, how to get there. Standing firm is a significant concept for us to wrestle around, especially when there are so many things that want to kind of knock us off course, distract us away from a particular direction. So, that's how we have gone through this on learning the different things that Paul pushes out in teaching this Philippian church of how to stand firm, right? He didn't just tell us to do something. He tells us how to. So let me do a quick flyover if you've missed the other four um, or one of the other ones. Um, and then I really encourage you to go back and either watch. The notes are always attached to the, um, to the archived uh, part of these messages, um, so I'd encourage you to go back. Here's, here's Philippians 1. This is what we learned from chapter 1, that we are to stand firm in Christ's confidence. How? Believe God will finish what he started in you in Christ. The key, uh, one key verse in that first chapter is one 1.6. Being confident of this, that he began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I told you that other people may quit on you in your life. But other people may have quit on you in your life. Christ doesn't quit on you. And so I said, what did he start then? I my, that's how my mind works. What did he start in me? Well, he resurrected a God image in us. All right? Sin killed our God DNA, but Jesus resurrected it. Um, he started a renewed relationship with God. Sin separated us out of relationship from God. Christ then renews that relationship and he redirected our future in God. Right? Sin limited our earthy future, killed our eternal, eternal future. But with Jesus, we hit the spiritual lottery. John ten ten says that we have a life more and better than we ever dreamed of. That's now and that's eternally. So I even went back and pulled out a Satan lie. One is this and you are as good as it's ever going to get. And you look at yourself right now and you go, you and your situation is as best as it's ever going to get. God's truth, what he started, he'll finish, and he's not finished with you yet. Here's Philippians 2. It tells us to stand firm together. How? Live with a sacrificial Christ humility. Now, this is one, I I picked out one verse, but you got to read the whole chapter. But the one verse that sets up the chapter is Philippians 2.5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which tells me, if Paul's telling us that we can have the same mindset in Christ Jesus, then we can. So then we have to know what is the mindset of Christ Jesus as it relates to relationships and having a stand firm and a stand strong together. And then that that chapter walks us through that. Satan's lie is look out for number one. No one else, uh, n- no one else will, will, and so this is where your strength will come. You looking out for you. God's truth, you were created for the body of Christ and to be strengthened in the body of Christ. That's what I pulled out of Philippians chapter 2. Flip, chapter 3 was stand firm, focused, forward. Stand firm, focused, forward. How? Believe that while your past is informative, it is not declarative. It's informative. You you can't run away from your past. Your past really has uh, made you into who you are. But what the enemy wants you to believe in, there's, there's no out of that, that that is the end of the story. But with Christ, it becomes the frame of our story. And then who he makes us out to be and who he finishes, it gets framed and look where we were, look who we were and now who we are. And it declares, actually it declares the glory and the power of God in our story. But if we get, if we get locked into a past, it'll keep us there. Philippians three thirteen and 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Satan's lie. You are your past, good or bad. God's truth. Your past doesn't define you. It just frames your story in Christ. And there's still a prize in front of you. Keep pressing. Keep pressing. And then I broke down the fourth chapter into two parts. Last week was stand firm in peace. How? Perfectly practice peace. Philippians 4 and 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And I brought out, who have you ever considered the fact that you can practice peace? So where do you start practicing peace? Paul in that chapter outlined it. Reconciling relationships, not recoiling from them. Rejoicing in the Lord, not remorsing in our circumstances. Responding to people with gentleness. Replacing anxiousness with thanksgiving-shaped prayers. Redirecting our thinking to praiseworthy thoughts. Nine verses, but they were jam-packed. Satan's lie. Peace is circumstance-dependent. God's truth. I am peace and I'm always dependable. There was so much stuff in these four passages, four chapters of Philippians. I would encourage you to review those. And it brings us to our final one today, the second half of Philippians chapter four. Stand firm in contentment. Stand firm in contentment. How? For right now, I'm just telling you that contentment is a learned trait, it is a learned trait. Satan's lie. The grass is always greener where you aren't. God's truth. The grass is always greener where I am. It doesn't take much of being in a, even though Williamson County is obviously a very advanced county, it's a rural county in, in a lot of respects. And it doesn't take much to drive down any country road to see that cow or that horse or that goat. Goat's not so much. They just got their head down wanting to eat everything in sight. But, but on the cows and the horses, seeing them trying to get the grass on the other side of that and sometimes electrified fence. Isn't it interesting? The fences have to be either electrified or barbed in order to teach an animal, stop sticking your head here, right? But then I reflect over my life and I'm going, oh my God, right? How many fences in my life have had to be electrified or barbed wire to teach me, stop sticking your nose there? Right, What you're trying to search and get after, it isn't good for you. And it's not as good for you as where you are. It may be the same, but it's not worth, it's not worth getting hurt over because of, of where you are. And that's kind of what he's going to teach us today about contentment. You know, it's almost stop sticking your nose on the other side of the fence expecting to get some kind of different result in life. Contentment as a learned trait is almost as foreign as last week when I said peace is something you can practice. I mean, that's what struck me. I mean, when I got into studying last week and I went, really, peace can be practiced. That's amazing. That that we really can find ourselves in situations. We can practice these things Paul's telling us and we will end up in a more peaceful place. And I found just as much of kind of smash me in the face. I'm still wrestling with it. You'll tell somehow in the message that, that it's not as, as, as simple and as plain as I'd like to try to make things because I'm still wrestling with it. Is that contentment? You have to learn contentment. Can you see how, if we can learn to live in contentment, how it will increase our ability to stand firm? When we don't get out, the, 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 um, the, the one of sports term was you get, you kind of get out in front of your skis, right? How much in life we, we get out in front of our skis, right? So so when we when we got our head, when we got our head, and we got someone stuck, and we keep thinking that contentment's on some other side of something else, how it kind of um, it messes with your equilibrium, it messes with your balance, it makes a lot of sense to me. So we'll pick up the text today, Philippians four ten through thirteen. Paul says I rejoiced greatly in the Lord and this is his concluding this is his concluding words to this church a church that he he thinks so highly of he says I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at our last or at last you renewed your concern for me indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it i'm not saying this because i'm in need for i've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. And Paul had a variety of circumstances in which he would have had to learn this idea of contentment. He said, I know what it's to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret. Well, That's how you sell a book or get someone to open your blog post right there, right? You say, there's a secret. And if you just click these 17 links, you'll find out I haven't told you what the secret is yet. Right? But Paul is telling us right plainly, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's, that's one qualifier. In any and every situation. Now he goes on to another qualifier. Whether well-fed or, well, whether, whether well or hungry qualifier. Whether living in plenty or want. Another qualifier. Three qualifiers. Now he's putting it in the context of a financial situation which is generally never seen, right? Any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, plenty or in want, and here it is. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I learned it this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how I learned it. Ten-finger prayer, got your hands with you, you find yourself in a situation or you find yourself facing discontentment. How do I do this? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Dan words. That's his secret. That's his secret. So let's unpack some of the um, key terms here. Let's unpack contentment. All these were just definitions I pulled offline from different dictionaries. Cambridge Dictionary. Contentment. Happiness and satisfaction, often because you have everything you need you need learn to get knowledge of or skill in by study instruction or experience all right to get to acquire to go after that's to learn Webster secret information known by only a few people something difficult to explain or understand A particular way of achieving something. I never heard of Macmillan Dictionary, but I liked the definition, so I used their source. Information known by only a few people. Something difficult to explain or understand. A particular way of achieving something. His secret, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it can be learned because it is our it was our default setting and creation this would have been adam and eve's default setting all right but what happens their default setting is challenged with doubt did god really say if you eat from this you're going to die he didn't really say that did he you think he really meant that? And here comes this doubt. Here comes this doubt um, that basically says God is holding out on you. That if you take life by the horns, if you use your own thinking, your own mind, your own eyes, you can obviously see that this piece of fruit, is matchless compared to the bounty that's around you. To me, that's still the hardest thing for me to wrap my brain around, that everything was accessible to Adam and Eve. Every plant, everything, every fruit. Um, I, did a, I did a study one time and it, just, it was kind of arbitrary, trying to figure out maybe how many fruits and vegetables could have been you know, there at the time. And it was like in the thousands, like and somehow, And somehow, this kumquat um, supersedes, like you thought I was going to say apple, because you always assume it's an apple. We don't know what it is, so I'm going to say it's a kumquat. This kumquat somehow supersedes everything else at their disposal. But why did it happen? Because he was able to sow this doubt that God was holding out on them. That there was probably something outside of what God provided That would actually make them more content than where they were. And when they bit that, they swallowed it. Hook, line, and sinker. And when they did, their default settings changed. Okay? They changed from trusting God to trusting in more in what they could see. Their default setting changed from a God dependency to a self-sufficiency. If this is going to happen, I got to make it happen. If I'm going to depend on someone, I'm going to depend on myself. From a contentment with God, you know, interesting. The scripture in Genesis says that in the cool of the evening, God would come and commune with them. A God dependency a contentment with God to happiness and satisfaction becoming something circumstantial. circumstantial. That I'm happy, I'm satisfied, I'm content as long as all these criterias have been met. And whenever any of these criterias haven't been met, then I'm no longer going to be content. I'm no longer going to be content. All right? Um, so Paul is teaching how to be that content. In every and other circumstance, but as I said in relation to practicing last week, that, that anybody can teach something, um, or I, I put it in a very personal term, that I believe I can teach you most anything. I believe I can coach you through a lot of life, um, but I can't motivate you to save my life. Right? You can bring yourself, you can bring a desire to learn, you can bring a, a desire to be teachable, but nobody can, nobody can give you motivation. Motivation is something that you have to yourself bring to the table. And when you can bring a motivated self to the table, then there isn't anything that you won't be able to do, especially in Christ. And there are some things in our life that we need to be discontent over. And, and, and in those places, we, we have to learn. We have to, there's a learning curve to contentment. And some of the learning curve to contentment will start with how much are you willing? How much are you willing to endure um, in your discontented state before you look to change where you are? All right? We can be in a disconsent, in, in, in separation with God, in, um, in, in a behavior um, that, that is actually separating you from, from God in the peace of Christ. There has to be some level of discontentment in order to look and change to find the path of contentment. There's a learning curve. Now, um, a simple illustration I'll put to this is my dad, um, um, my dad smoked. I mean, he he smoked since like age 10. He said, son, I mean, from age 10, I smoked. And by the time I started working with my dad full time, dad was going through a pack or two a day. He would say he would burn them more than smoke them. But I also knew kind of why he was smoking. I could tell when he would do the bookwork in the morning in his small little office, when we were short, meaning someone stole something, which was quite regularly, I could see more um, burnt cigarettes in his ashtray, right? So, so the smoking was a coping mechanism for dad. And then he finally got to this level of discontent where he did not want to smoke anymore. And so he started just on his own replacing it with hard candy, so whenever he wanted to smoke, he'd have some hard candy. Well, that didn't work very long. My mom said it cost us more money because of the dental work that got involved. Promise, no lie. I mean, and so, and so, so dad kind of fell back into this, this, back in this posture of smoking all the time. And then he got motivated again. He got motivated again. I'm going to do something different. And I don't know. He carried something in his pocket that beeped ever at, so, at certain intervals, and it changed every day. And the, the intent was when it beeped, he had to smoke. So it changed it from him being in control, that the little gadget was in control, telling him when to smoke, and by the, by the end, when it was telling him to smoke, it was like, he, I gotta go smoke, right? And, and that was working fine, and then my, 1987, my mom had a stroke, and then that went right out the door. He went back to smoking. Then it was 1990, or I don't know, uh, 1987, 1989, something like that, um, uh, it was his 59th birthday, and um, he was having trouble breathing, went to the doctor, um, lung cancer. Uh, they removed the lower uh, lobe of one of his lungs, and I won't forget that his doctor came in and said, Mr. Weir, um, if you smoke another cigarette again, you're going to die. My dad never smoked another cigarette again from that moment in the hospital, right? It finally got to that level where he went, okay, I'm done. And nothing else except that stark truth could stop him. Be- Why? Because, because addictions do that, right? Addictions do that until you get kind of hit with this, this, this stark thing. And I, I want you to understand, I want you, are, are you addicted to something? And I'm not talking about a substance as much. It can, can be. But are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because we have to get to that place many times before we're going to try something else. And I would say that discontentment, I mean, living in a series of discontentment, nothing satisfies you, nothing satisfies you long. The grass is always greener. I'm telling you, that addiction to discontentment is harming you. It's harming you emotionally. It's harming you spiritually. Listen, it's harming you physically And I'll tell you, it will steal everything from you. It will rob you blind. It can steal your marriage. It can steal your family. Discontentment, we have to find a way to realize the dangers of living continually in a discontented state before we'll ever change and say, okay, then what's the secret? What's the secret, Pastor? Pastor? Well, again, he tells us his experience, and Paul had a great deal of it. His experience was, you know what? When I hit that situation and I got through it, I looked back and I realized I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the next time I hit a circumstance, I go, well, you know what? I think I can get through this one too. And it's not just I can get through it. Paul learned that I can be content in the middle of it. Because look, a lot of times we hit things we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? There are times and situations we get to the place where we go, okay, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We can breathe better. But listen, when you're in the middle of it, you're not far enough along in this tunnel to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Paul's listen, it's it's really important. He didn't say, "I, I know the secret to getting through stuff. He said, I know the secret of being content in the middle of stuff. And I can do this. I can be content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or want, or any other circumstance you might be able to outline, I've learned that I can be content in it through the strength of Christ. I understand in a lot of Christian circles, that verse is taken out of, a, out of that context that I, I can just I can plow through anything in Christ. And I get it, and you can, but that's not the context. And that's just kind of one I want to just live in. That's not the context. It's apply, it can apply to that, but the context all has to do with contentment. All has to do with contentment. Um, Paul made a choice to live a, full, a life full of religious, political, and financial, to leave a life of political and financial and religious promise. He made the choice to leave that. And, and he didn't know fully what, 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 what was going to hold after that, and then he had a skill he had a particular skill that he had learned, not sure where he would have learned it because he was an academic, but he learns how to make tents, and he uses that trade wherever he could so that he would not be a financial burden on the churches that he was planting, although for everybody else who followed he says hey they 're worthy of it they 're worthy of it hey i just wanted to, I wanted to be different over here, and I wanted to 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 kind of pay my way as much as I could pay my way. And he's, he's thanking the Philippian church, a church that did not have very much, that they, they saw need and they kept trying to step up and take care of the need, not only that he would have, but when he was collecting things for the church back in Jerusalem, that was poor, right? And so that's kind of the context he's talking about this too. Hey, at last you renewed your, your concern for me, man, I appreciate it. I really do. It means a lot, but not for the same reasons you believe it means. And we'll get to that on the back half of that thing. So Paul learned he had put himself in a position where he wasn't going to be in control of his life anymore. Now, isn't that a scary thing? That you would put yourself in a position where you say, I'm not going to be in control of my life anymore. I mean, when the dude wakes up to a dream that says, come over here to Macedonia and help us, and he does. That's a man who is given complete control and direction of his life to the father and he's just stepped into it Uh, and he he, I guess he learned I can't step into this unless I'm going to be content where I am because if I'm going to live in discontent this is going to tear me up and I'm not going to be effective and I'll tell you that's true for you and me too wherever you find yourself unless it's a place of discontent you need to get out of okay that's important finding a way to be content where God has you until God moves you is the key to standing firm Um, all right, so Satan's lie. The grass is always greener where you aren't. God's truth, the grass is always greener where I am. So I think it's the back half. The back half of the back half. Philippians 4, 14 through 20. Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Now what, Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And here's another verse that gets quoted out of context all the time. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 19, "And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ." Um, Paul is circling back to this idea that they had given a, a financial offering. Now he's set up already saying, "Guys, um, I've already made my peace with God of where stuff is with me, and I'm going to be content wherever God has me, because I know His strength will make me content. But man, I appreciate I appreciate you thinking of me and wanting to take care of my needs. But listen. I'm happy, but not for the reasons you think I'm happy. I'm happy because, wow, this is showing your maturity in the Lord and how you're growing in your worship. And I am so excited that because you have placed all your dependence on God, I'll tell you, the scripture is replete with things about money. I mean, there is stuff hand over fist about money and and giving and how to manage it and what to do in worship and all that. And I believe it's the simplest concept but it opens the biggest door. That that if we will get the handle on finances, the simplest concept, how it opens the door so much more in Christ. It's all worship, and that's what Paul's trying to tell him. This was a fragrant offering. It was a fragrant fragrant offering to the Lord. It has gotten his attention. How you have worshiped and given. Two main ways that giving is outlined in scripture. One is around the tithe it means a percentage. It actually means 10%. But the priority of the tithe is as significant as the tithe. And God's saying, trust me. Trust me in the first. Prioritize the percentage and watch what I'll do. He's saying it doesn't make sense because we live in a subtraction mindset, right? That if I have something and I give you something, I have less, right? That's what we can see. But in God's economy around worship is what we give becomes get multiplied. And I don't, I don't mean dollar for dollar. I don't mean this is a get out your abacus and figure out how you can, how you can work the system in which God then... Sub- no, it, 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 is, it is a multiplication. I, I, I'm giving glory to God at any time we worship. In any capacity, it's a multiplying, exponentially multiplying um, activity whenever I worship. When I worship, people see me worship. People want to know who I'm worshiping. When I acknowledge God in his, in, his, in his generosity, when I acknowledge God in his provision, when I acknowledge God in his strength, when I acknowledge God for open doors, when I every time I acknowledge God and to whomever I acknowledge God, it is a multiplying effect because then people see who we are worshiping. And when it comes to giving, there's that. And then there's the offering side. This is this is God moves on us in a in a different manner. One is, I think, I see it as a sheer obedience and trust to the Lord. The other one is God God is moves us in, in someone else's behalf. On something else's behalf. and and, we, and we, we give over and above, and he's saying, man, God is keeping a record, folks. That's what he's saying. And it's not like God, oh, okay, boy, there's, you know, I think they did 6.6% this week. And I, not that way. He's saying, man, every time that we, that we illustrate our trust in God in that manner, God's going, wow. They, they, they continue to grow in their development of who they are, and trust me. And then Paul circles around, and he's so excited because he says, you know what happens? You know what happens when we don't look at things as subtraction? We now have open access to all of the riches in Christ Jesus. Contentment. This is the context in which he teaches us this. That regardless of what we have, a lot or little, regardless of any circumstance we can find ourselves in, he's saying, listen, if you're going to stand firm, you're going to have to learn to be content in that situation. And I know it's easier to be content when we think we have everything we need than when we don't. And that's why he's saying, but I have everything I need in Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, regardless of what the situation is, he's saying, you have everything you need in him. You have enough strength. So because you have enough strength, be content because that contentment is going to allow you to stand firm. And no matter what blows or what happens, you're going to be able to have a stable base. And then he switches to, and you want access to the riches of God? I know it sounds like a TV preacher. I mean, it's what I wrestled with the whole, the whole time. This is not a give to get. He's it, just saying the access to the riches of God comes in, in, in acknowledging that he is our source. And the way that we acknowledge his source is when he says give, we give. <laughs> I, I can't put that in any other velvet package. It's been my experience personally. It's been our experience as a church. And it's the challenge he puts forth. But in conclusion, come on up team. A passage around giving that has always kind of befuddled me. We find it in 2 Kings. After the largest spiritual battle, or at least an equally large spiritual battle, that, that you can find in the Old Testament. The, is, um, is Baal God or is Yahweh God? And Elijah goes against the prophets of Baal in the providing of a sacrifice on an altar. And the terms of the competition were, whoever lights up this bull with fire is the real God. Like we're gonna do everything up to lighting this thing on fire and the god who lights a thing on fire that's the real god. And the prophets of Baal begin and nothing happens. And uh, Elijah steps up and he says, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to add an exclamation point to this. Let's let's dig a trench around this thing. Let's put so much water on this on this wood and on this bull that there's no conceivable way that anything can light this thing up other than God. And when all that's done, almost he kind of says, your turn. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's after that event that Elijah runs for his life afraid. It, it, is, it is one of the most ignomatic passages in scripture and tells you that even the strongest among us can get flattened and have our feet taken out of us taken away from us in and what should be some of the most victorious of times when god kind of nurses him back to spiritual health a little bit he sends him on his way into a town and he has him ask this widow woman to make him a cake and this is the part of the story that's so difficult to understand cuz she goes to Elijah and she says well Actually, what's happening is I'm collecting enough sticks to go make my last cake for my son and I to eat, and then we're going to die. Now, you and I would say, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to impose. I'll go find somebody else. Elijah says, no, listen, this is what the Lord said. Go make my cake, and then make yours. And what you'll find is every day you go to make your cake, there's going to be flour and oil enough to make your cake. Until God releases this drought and he brings rain to the land again, and then all oh, it's gonna be better. And you can read that, especially if you're kind of outside the faith, you can read that and go, boy, that doesn't make any sense. Why why wouldn't he just direct Elijah to go to someone who had more money? And it's because this woman needed a miracle of God. And she needed to know the provision of God. She was the exact right person. And I think about if she would have said no. Where would that have left her? I don't know, really, we're going to receive communion as our response because that was the best way that I could come up with for us to understand that it is Christ's strength within us that makes us content. What I'm asking you is, where are you discontent? And sometimes that discontentment leads you to holding on really, really tight what God has entrusted to you. And really the only way to get past that is to come to God with an open hand. And I don't know what that looks like with you. I love bringing these elements of giving into a situation where we don't don't have, like we don't have a financial need. The church gives and we pay our bills and we do the things that we want to do. This church is a generous giving church. But it's not about budget. It's not about a giving, generous church. It's about you. I mean, Paul's saying, hey, I'm glad you did this. I didn't need it. But I'm glad you did this because, boy, when you did this, man, it's been it's been counted to your account. It's been added in the riches of glory. I, I want to I see things change in your life. And could it be? And I've seen it so many times, guys. I've seen it so many times. The the discontent in in a family's life gets wrapped around that somebody in that household is holding so daggum tight to what they have because they're so afraid. It's out of fear. And God's trying to get your hands open and be open with him to trust him as your source. And when you do so, watch the contentment. It's part of the learning curve of, of learning contentment, I believe. Of not holding on to something so tightly because you're afraid you're going to lose it, and missing out what God wants you to hold instead. So, ushers, you guys come and start distributing communion. I want you to hold the elements to everyone to serve. The juice is go- a cup is going to be nested with a cup underneath with the bread, and um, it is it is a. Um, uh, it's gluten-free. I, I know there's people that have, like, really major serious uh, uh, allergic reactions. So I'm just telling you. And you know what's odd is it tastes better than the old stuff. <laughs> so you receive it. Hold it. Worship as they, as they lead us in the song. And then we'll come and we'll take it together. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.